Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, Rosh Hashivan President of Yeshivat Chovei Torah Rabbinical School. We'll now be starting the letter P for prayer and looking at a series of two voters of Moshe Feinstein on tefillah. Now, if Moshe Feinstein has probably hundreds of two vote on different aspects of prayer, we're going to focus in on a couple of core concepts and core chidushim, core innovative approaches that Rav Moshe has taken. In this episode, we're going to look at the question of whether there is a personal obligation, a chiyuv yachid, to pray in a minion. Whether I as an individual, now we're talking about men who make up the minion presumably, whether I as a man have an obligation to go to minion every day, or maybe three times a day, shachris minchen mariv, or is it enough that a minion is taking place and I personally am not obligated to do it? Maybe there's a value in my doing it, but I don't actually have a halachic obligation. We will see that Rav Moshe will actually say that there is an obligation on every individual or every individual man um, to go to minion. Now, this is against what most of the sources indicate. There are many sources in the Gemara that make it clear, or seem to make it quite clear, that this is a value, this is something that is preferable to Davin and a minion. You might want to frame it as a kiyum, it's a fulfillment of a mitzvah, but it's not an actual obligation. Now, this question about davening and a minion, I think, is particularly poignant right now at the time of the coronavirus. You know, for a good while, um, at the beginning of this reality that we're living in, it was not possible at all to daven in a minion. And even now, uh, where minyanim are possible, many people do not have that ability. Their minyanim can only uh, have a certain amount of people in them. Uh, some people are immunocompromised and can't daven in a minion regardless. And for many people, this is really quite difficult. People who have to say Kaddish, who don't have an opportunity, although people now can zoom into a minion, depending on which sock somebody follows. And there are others for whom Davening in a minion is really a very central part of their religious lives. And to not daven in a minion each day really means that, you know, on a profound religious level, their day is, is, is seriously lacking. They have not begun it with that participation in a religious community, which really begins and, found, and, and creates the foundation for their day. Ironically, there are the others who might really welcome the opportunity to not daven in a minion, who maybe feel that they daven in a minion because they're obligated to, and now if it's not possible, so great, I can daven at home, I can save myself time. So there are different responses, but I do think that for many, many people, this is a very difficult time. Now, those different reactions, I think, reflect to some degree the question of whether we think about davening in a minion uh, primarily as a halachic obligation, and then if we're exempt, maybe we don't feel so, so much of a sense of a need to daven in a minion, or do we approach it much more from the perspective of a profound religious and theological value, that this is a central part of my religious life, this is a profound way of connecting to God, a profound way of connecting to community. And if that's our approach, then uh, we really feel the loss. Of course, both could be true. We could feel it as both a halachic obligation, and we could feel a loss that we're not able to do something that we're halachically obligated to do. But it is valuable to identify those two different aspects, thinking about it as just a halachic obligation and thinking about what feelings but Sibor means to people that really are invested in it and do it on a daily basis. And I think that when we look at uh, the Chuvas of Rav Moshe on this issue, one of the things that's fascinating from a, 
a methodological perspective or a religious perspective is the way that Rav Moshe Feinstein, we will see, uh, connects the two of these, that he actually links the sense of the theological meaning of tefillah and tefillah b'tzibur, what it means to daven in a minion, what that means vis-a-vis God and whether our prayers are accepted, and how that has a direct impact on whether this is a halachic obligation or not. So that is really going to be central to Rav Moshe's argument, and that's going to lead him to conclude against what is implied by really most of the sources, that it is not a halachic obligation. He is going to conclude that it is a halachic obligation. So before we actually turn to the true vote, let's begin by just laying some groundwork and talking about some of the key sources in the Gemara around this issue of davening in a minion. There's one famous source that Rabbi Yochanan says that when God comes to a Beit Knesset, a synagogue, and he does not find a minion that's praying there, he immediately gets angry. Certainly points to the very great importance of praying in a minion or certainly having a minion at, in, um, in the synagogue. Um, another source in Brachot says that uh, Rav Yitzchak once asked Rav Nachman why he didn't come to the synagogue to pray in a minion, and he said because he was feeling weak. So then he said, well, why didn't you make a minion in your home? And the answer was, well, that would have been too much effort, and you know, especially given how I was feeling. Also, on the one hand, points to the importance of the minion, but on the other hand, certainly seems to say that it's not an obligation. I was feeling weak. It was too much effort. You should have done it. It, was a bit, it would have been a value to do it. One does not get any sense of the tone of that, that there was an obligation. Similarly, the Gemara says in Brachot that Rav, says, Rav, Natan, Rav Natan says that God does not reject the prayer of the community. The importance of praying in a minion is because God doesn't reject when we're praying as an entire community together. And another opinion says it's important to pray in a minion because God listens to our prayers at a desirable time. And the desirable time is when we are all praying together in a minion. From that approach, even if you're praying at home at the same time, it's important. All of these speak to the value of it, but none of them indicate that sense of obligation. Even that sense that God gets angry when there isn't a minion certainly doesn't say that I as an individual have an obligation, and again, speaks much more to the importance of having a minion than it does to the question of uh, whether it actually is a halachic requirement. Now, it is worth pausing also for a moment and noticing the difference between those two sets of sources. God getting angry is a funny idea in the sense of what it means to have communal prayer and that God listens to our communal prayer. If that's true, why is God getting angry that there isn't a minion? And if you think about it, that there really are two things we accomplish by davening in a minion. We have the value of tefillah b'tzibor, of communal prayer, which as we've seen, the Gemara says, means that our prayers are accepted by God, and also means, you know, we're coming together as a community in prayer, a very powerful theological idea. But you also have the idea that you say dvarim shabikdusha. You say kaddish and kedusha and baruchu. That's a separate idea from the obligation of tefillah b'tzibor. That is the idea that when you have a minion, you are able to do the Dvarim Shabikdusha. And Dvarim Shabikdusha is sanctifying God's name, Berabin, in a community, in public, and in the synagogue as well. There are many Gemarot that speak about the power of saying, Yehesh may rab in the synagogues, that the synagogue is the place, particularly after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, where God's name is sanctified. So those are two aspects. And when God gets angry because there's not a minion, presumably that's about this aspect of saying Dvarim Shabikdusha. Our focus is really on the different point. Our focus is on the value, the power of praying the tzibor. 
And to what degree, even though it's a value, does that make it an obligation? So that's what we have in the Gemara. Now, it is worth mentioning that there are one or two sources that seem to indicate maybe a greater sense of obligation. There's a famous Gemara that Rabbi Eliezer freed a slave in order to turn him into a full Jew in order to make a minion, even though there are some halachic problems with freeing a slave. And that says because it's a mitzvah. But again, that's not talking necessarily about a personal obligation to pray in a minion. It's talking about helping create a minion, make a minion. Um, and also, it doesn't mean that it was obligatory to do that, but just that there was a powerful mitzvah that was fulfilled in making that happen. Perhaps the one Gemara that most indicates that there's some sense of an obligation is a Gemara in Pesachim that says, when a person is traveling, he is required to go four mil, four kilometers in the direction that he's going in order to do a certain mitzvah, and he's even required to turn back and go a kilometer or up to a kilometer behind him to go, trace his steps back in order to do this mitzvah. Now, some Rishonim say this is just washing hands. It's washing hands before doing the ritual things that require washing hands. But Rashi says that it's referring actually to davening in a minion. So here we have a Gemara that actually seems to require a person to go out of their way in order to daven in a minion. None of these sources really are so overwhelming. Even this last source, the fact that the most I have to do is go a certain number of kilometers, how big of an obligation is it? If, you know, once it's more than one kilometer, how much of an obligation are we really talking about? And one could easily conclude from this that it's a religious value. God accepts our prayers. We should make an effort to do it. We maybe should be trying to go out of our way to do it. But if we don't do it, we really haven't violated anything or we really haven't, you know, not lived up to our obligations. And the Gemaras that talk about the importance of having a minion, like God gets angry if there isn't, or freeing a slave to make a minion, that speaks more to the community's responsibility to have a minion, not my personal obligation. And as we said, that might have actually less to do with davening in a minion and more to do with dvarim shebiktusha, and having that take place may, maybe in general and specifically within a synagogue. So that's what you have in terms of the Gemara sources. And the Rishonim seem to rule similarly that it's not really an obligation. Rambam in the beginning of the laws of Tefillah in chapter 8, law 1, says that God doesn't reject the prayer of the masses and therefore a person should daven with a minion. So it's that person should daven with a minion, presumably because of the power that his prayers will be accepted, not because it is a strict halachic obligation. Shulchan Aruch in Orachayim 99 says a person should be yishtadel, should make an effort to David in a minion. So all of these sources and many Rishonim and many Poskim say that there is no personal obligation to David in a minion. Again, maybe it's a mitzvah that you fulfill when you do it, but it's not an obligation. One Posek actually says this explicitly, and he says, look, it's really only a community a communal obligation to have a minion. It's not a personal obligation to daven in a minion. But then he says, you're not allowed to tell anybody this. Because if you tell people this, then nobody will come up to come to Shul and we'll never get a minion. Um, which really makes it very clear about some of the policy considerations in terms of how we talk about the obligation to daven in a minion in our educational setting, in our sort of religious discourse. Do we tell people, yeah, you don't have to, it's really not a personal obligation? Or do we say, no, of course, you're from Jew, you have to daven every day in a minion. And to what degree are we sort of being completely transparent about the halacha? And to what degree maybe it doesn't really matter what the technical halacha is, we need to be imparting the importance of this value and to be in 
internalizing that and not always sort of asking the technical halachic question. So now we're going to turn to Rav Moshe. And what I think of the things to ask is, Rav Moshe actually says, no, it is a halachic obligation for an individual to daven in a minion against all of the upshot of the sources. And one of the questions to ask is, where is he coming from? Is he coming from this sort of approach of this policy that it's important to have people, you know, own this as an obligation because that way we'll get a minion and it's important to have minion on him and so on? Um, or is he coming from more of a theological perspective? And if you look at the sources, we can always speculate there are, there are policy considerations. But if you actually look at the Tuvat themselves, they seem very much driven by theological considerations. So we're going to look at three Tuvot. The first one is the most central one, and that speaks directly about whether there's a personal obligation to daven in a minion. Then we'll look at another one, which talks about if you can choose between davening in a minion or staying at home and having more intent, which is the better choice to make. And that obviously will play out some of these factors of the degree of obligation to daven in a minion. And then finally, we'll look at a third source, which is a little bit off topic, but it intersects. And that's where Moshe asks a question about can you rent a space that's usually used for inappropriate things um, in order to enable you to have a minion if you might not otherwise be able to daven in a minion? And how much does the nature of the space impact the importance of davening in a minion? And the reason we're going to look at that source is because, again, it plays into, we'll see another application of Rav Moshe in terms of how the theological impacts the halachic. So those are the three two that we're going to look at. And let's take a look at this direct question of, is a person obligated to daven in a minion? And this is from Igris Moshe 227, and it's from 1963. And here's the question. You have a yeshiva student, we're actually going to find out at the end of the tshuva that this is somebody who's learning in Lakewood, and he wants to have a seder late at night, he wants to learn at his home late at night, but it means he's going to sleep late the next morning and he's going to miss shachris, you know, the morning davening with the rest of the community. So is he allowed to do that? Because that will, by skipping the minion the next morning, it will allow him to really increase his Talmud Torah the night before. Okay, and that's the question, and this is dated, actually, Shivasar Batamuz, Tafshin Chafkimel, 1963. And here's what he says. And right from the outset, he directly says his, his position about the obligation to David in a minion. To David in a minion is an obligation on the individual. Again, the man. Lorak Hidur Umala, and explicitly rejecting what all the sources, you know, indicate. It's not just something that's preferable. It's not just a important religious level. It is not just a value. It is an actual strict halachic obligation. And how does he know this? Because of the Gemar Psachim we indicated before. It says that you have to go out of your way four kilometers in order to daven with a minion, the way Rashi understands it, and that's the way the Shulchan Aruch rules, and you have to even go behind yourself, you know, trace your steps back up to a kilometer, and he says, therefore, if you have an obligation to go ahead and go out of your way, clearly that this is a halachic obligation. And I should pause and say that, you know, the Mishnah Brewer points out that if you have to trace your steps back, meaning you're not going in the direction you're going, you're going out of your way up to a kilometer, that that's true even if you're sitting at home. So if the show is within a kilometer, you would have to actually go there following this halacha. And some can say that it's not just the question of the distance of a kilometer, but it's the amount of time in the Gemara it would take to travel a kilometer, which would be about 18 minutes. 
So according to that, if a show is within 18 minutes travel time, you have an obligation to you know, leave your home and to daven in your show. And the Mishnah Burah actually says that this is a clear rebuke to people who don't daven in a minion, particularly Mincha and Marv, they don't bother to go out. From this halach, it's clear that you have to do that. So this Rav Moshe says, here you have it, that you have to go out of your way to daven in a minion. That makes it clear that that's an obligation. Now, again, the response to this could be, if it's limited by one kilometer backwards, four kilometers in front of you, that doesn't sound like a normal type of an obligation, which, you know, would not have those easy limitations. Oh, I got to schlep 20 minutes. I don't have to do it, you know, and it would seem more like it's something that is desirable. We're pushing you to do, but not like it's a strict obligation. You know, you should make an effort to do it and so on. Um, and the language uses tzarich, which does mean you have to, but tzarich is often a weaker language than your chayav, your obligated. So one could easily debate this, but Rav Moshe says, I am going to read this in the strict sense of obligation, and this is my evidence that there's a personal obligation. Now, he goes on to discuss this. Since we see that you have to go to an effort, we see that there is an actual obligation. Now he says, why therefore is it limited? Why don't you have to make a big effort? Like, you know, if you have an obligation to take, I don't know, Lulav and Esrog, you know, you have to go an hour to go into Lower East Side to buy it, and you have to spend money, and then you have to bring it back, you know, even for the middle days of Yontiv, which is only rabbinic. So how come the rabbis allowed you here such a low threshold to not have to do it if it really is an obligation. And Rav Moshe's answer is, he says the following. He says, He says, they were willing to say that going out of your way is like it's out of your hands. They were willing to say that's the threshold of not having to do it. In general, by positive mitzvahs, we put a limit. Here, it's a very low limit. Now, why is that? He says, look, like in my example, if you're not going to schlep down and get a lulav and esrog for the middle days, then you're completely not going to do the mitzvah of lulav and esrog. Here, even if you don't daven in a tzibor, in a minion, you still davened. You didn't do the davening the best way, maybe the fully obligatory way, according to Rav Moshe, but you still davened and you did the mitzvah of davening. So therefore, this obligation, which is an obligation to make your tefillah better, there they were willing to put a reasonable limit on it. So for Rav Moshe, rather than reading this as you're obligated to exert some effort, you know, or you should try, make an effort to daven in a minion, but you're not actually obligated. He says, no, you are obligated, but we will have a very low threshold with what is considered to be too difficult, out of your control. So nobody disagrees on the halacha. The question is how you frame it. Other poskim would frame it as you have to try to make an effort, and Rav Moshe says you're absolutely obligated, but a low threshold of what can get you exempt. And now Rav Moshe continues, and he says, what about the language in the Shulchan Aruch of Yishtadel, a person should make an effort to daven in a minion. So he says, You should make an effort, that that suggests that it's not an obligation. Why? And now he has a brilliant way of reading that in light of the, the, his explanation a minute ago about the low threshold of getting out of it. Because Rav Moshe says, once you have this relatively low threshold, if it's more than a kilometer, more than, let's say, an 18-minute trip, um, then you don't have to do it. 
Or there are other things that are a similar type of a burden that you would say, well, if I don't have to go 18 minutes out of my way, then I also shouldn't have to, I don't know, interrupt my meal. I shouldn't have to interrupt my learning. There's a lot of other things that might be in a similar type of a category. And every person is left to their own devices to determine what is considered to be a sufficient reason to say that I don't have to do it once there are these low-level limits regardless. And therefore, the Shulchan Aruch says, Yishtadel. You know what? There maybe are many cases which you could justify not going because you could say, if I don't have to go a kilometer out of my way, I also don't have to go if it's this situation or that situation. And maybe it's true. Maybe you might be exempt in those cases, but maybe you might not be. And even if you are technically exempt, make an effort. Make an effort to go, even if there are cases which you might technically be exempt. That's how he deals with the sources. The fact that you have to travel out of your way to him is an indication that it's an actual obligation, not just an effort you should try to exert. And the fact that the Shulchan Aruch uses the word Yishtadel is because once the exemptions are of a low threshold, you sh- we have to tell you that you have to make an effort to do it, even if there's a basis to exempt yourself. And that is where Moshe is now positioned, that it actually is a strict obligation. So where does he go from here? There was nowhere in the Gemara that it said, Chayav Adam Palel, a person has to pray in a minion. You know, it's said about God accepts our prayers and so on. It never said we're obligated. So what's the basis for saying something, even if it somehow can be read into this idea of going out of your way? But where does that obligation come from? So here Rav Moshe makes his critical statement about the link between the theological and the halachic. And here's what he says. He says, The Gemara just says that God is, accepts our prayers and it's powerful to daven in a minion. It doesn't say we're obligated. And that's what Rambam says. So here he says, ah, So that's like the line to like highlight and underscore. This itself, this theological reality that God accepts our prayers creates a halachic obligation. But Moshe says, imagine a scenario where we could say God will not accept prayers of this sort. If a certain person prays in this way, I can tell you a thousand percent, God will not listen to the prayers. So if Moshe said, we could argue that that does, halakhically is not an act of praying. Now that is a fascinating idea, right? Are we praying to, you know, some could say, if you're more of a rationalist, you're praying, you know, you're speaking to God, but the power is the way it is allowing you to be self-reflective and take sort of stock of yourself. Rav Hirsch says that the word lihit palel is the hit pael, the reflexive of the word hilel, which means to judge. It gives us the opportunity to reflect on ourselves, to take stock, to judge ourselves. That's if you're taking a particularly rationalistic approach. But even if you talk about our relationship to God, the very act of speaking to God, praying to God, talking to God is a powerful act of prayer, I would imagine, regardless of whether God is going to accept the prayers. Now, maybe if you think he's turning a deaf ear, we're not even really connecting, but I don't know if I would have said that just because God isn't accepting the prayers, it means it's not an act of prayer. So that's Rav Moshe's sort of first assertion, that if you pray in a way that you could be certain God won't listen and accept the prayers, certain, not just possible, certain, then it's not an act of prayer. And once that's true, says Rav Moshe, so any normal prayer that we do, even if the person is wicked, whatever the case might be, there's always a chance that for whatever reason, God will accept the prayer. So that's why things count as prayer, because there's a possibility God will listen and accept. 
But if you can then bring your prayer to a level where God will definitely accept it, and how do you do that? By praying in a tzibur. So since the halachic status of prayer is sort of determined, you know, what makes something prayer is its possibility of being accepted by God, then when it definitely is accepted by God, clearly halachically, that has a different status of prayer. That is actually a different, even halachic level of prayer, because the halachic definition is dependent on this theological reality. So there's a lot of assumptions here. A, that the central aspect of prayer is that God accepts it. B, that that actually is part of the halachic definition of prayer. And once it's part of the halachic definition of prayer, a prayer that we know God will accept is of a halachically higher level, and that obligates us to pray the better prayer. We have to pray the prayer that halachically is weightier than the prayer that halachically is of less weight. So the obligation stems from that theological reality. So this is a quite radical approach of Rav Moshe for all of these assumptions he's making and for translating the theological into the halachic. Um, and then he says like this, um, um, because every prayer is the possibility of being accepted, that's why it counts. Um, and then he says, and but this type of a prayer, which definitely would be accepted, is clearly of a higher halachic level. And therefore, Moshe says, since in by a community it's always accepted, and this is not true by an individual, that theological reality creates a halachic obligation to daven in a minion. Okay, and therefore, although the Gemara emphasizes only that the prayer is accepted, that reality translates into halacha. That creates the very halacha. Okay, and therefore Rav Moshe says, once that's true, that it's a personal obligation, then what do I care that your learning is better if you learn late at night, if you're going to miss your davening the next morning? If it's a real personal obligation, you cannot violate that or give that up just for the sake of your own learning. Now, Again, we wouldn't have had to come to that conclusion. We could say if you don't have to travel out of your way, there are there are reasons that can justify, you know, you don't have to do this under all circumstances. It's obligation, but there are limits. But Rav Moshe does not take that approach. He says it's one thing if it's really seen as out of your control, but something like this, you cannot say learning is more important. That's not true. This is a strict obligation. And anyway, Rav Moshe says, who says that you have to learn late at night? Why don't you do the stuff you were going to do earlier in the day late at night, you know, at night and do your learning earlier and so on? Now, that's not always a practical suggestion. You know, late at night, it's quiet. The kids are asleep and so on. But Rav Moshe is not willing to accept that a person has to make this trade-off. But even if a person does have to make this trade-off, Rav Moshe says, this is not the right trade-off to make. There's a discussion in the Gemara that it's better to daven in the base medrash maybe than in a shul, and maybe even if you don't have a minion. And that's because the same way there's a power of davening in a minion, there might be a power if you're a learner to daven in the base medrash, and maybe that's of equal theological weight. But when you're just learning at home, Rav Moshe says, that cannot come at the cost of davening in a minion. And again, many other postkim would disagree. Many other postkim who don't start from the assumption that this is a strict obligation, just start from the assumption that this is a value, will say that there are, will say that there are other values that can counterbalance it. And yes, if you're going to have to sacrifice something of your learning, better to learn rather than to daven in a minion. And again, we can ask, you know, how much is Rav Moshe possibly a policy issue? If we let everybody learn and everybody come up with various reasons, people aren't going to go to shul and it's going to be bad for the community. 
It's possible, but I don't hear any hint of that in these two votes. And what I do hear is a profound way of reading halacha through a theological lens. So let's just take a look briefly at two other Q vote about this. Um, in Igris Moshe um, 3.7, or Chaim, from 1964, only a year later, um, he, he raises the following question. If somebody has more intent when they're davening in, in, at home by themselves when the, you know, compared to when they go to show, maybe they can daven a longer davening, they won't be embarrassed when they're at home, they're just not distracted. Is it better to have a more intent, or is it better to daven in show in a minion? Now, I think we can probably guess what Rav Moshe is going to say. He already said you have to give up your learning in order to daven a minion. But here, at least, what you're, it's not apples and oranges. Here, it's like apples and apples. You know, you're sacrificing some aspect of your prayer by davening in a minion. The idea of kavana. So which one is more important? So here's what he says. Somebody feels that when they daven privately, they have greater intent. Compared to when they're davening with the community, what should they do? Which one is better? So if Moshe says, and now this is also a fascinating tshuva because there's absolutely no sources quoted, although he does reference his previous tshuva. What seems to me, totally without any sources, if you have the minimum intent required to technically halachically satisfy your obligation of davening, more important to daven with a minion, even though you are going to be missing the ideal kavana, the ideal intent. Why? For the reasons we've seen. The, the davening in a minion, and here he says a little bit more softer than he said in the previous tshuva, not it's a strict obligation. Davening in a minion is something we have to make an effort to do. So that's how other poskim might more say it. It's something we have to make an effort, not a strict obligation. So here he's saying it a little softer. Davening in a tzibur is something we have to make an effort to do, and we have to go out of our way. And then he says, and actually in my other tshuva, I even said it might be a strict obligation. So here he's a little questioning, is it a strict obligation or just an obligation to make an effort? But one way or the other, we see that it's very important, davening in a tzibor. And we don't see that same language around kavana. And therefore, says Rav Moshe the following, and here he again turns to the theological. Since the prayer of the community is always heard by God, but the prayer of an individual, no matter how righteous he is, we don't know if it'll be accepted, but we know the prayers of the community will be accepted. Again, where there is more certainty that God will accept our prayers, that is where we have a greater obligation in that context, in that way to pray. And even if you'll have more kavana, that doesn't assure you that it'll be more accepted. But if you daven in a tzibur, that assures you it'll be more accepted, and that creates the obligation. So therefore, and now he explains again what the difference between this and kavana is. That davening in a tzibur makes it fundamentally a higher level of davening, because it is a davening that is more accepted, and that is central to the definition of davening, of tefillah. But if you have more intent, that makes it nicer, it makes it better. It's not fundamentally a different a different level, halachically, in terms of its status, of being a different level of, of tefillah, because only something that is 
more heard by God, that is the central aspect of what makes the tefillah a higher halachic level. So here Rav Moshe again repeats this idea that it's an obligation and again deals with the theological that because you're having your kavana might be very nice, but it doesn't ensure that God will accept the prayers. Davani and Tzibor ensures that and that is what creates the greater halachic obligation. That is what of more theological weight. Now, again, this is fascinating because I think many of us might say, you know, davening is so powerful because of what it does for me and the way I, in my davening, feel deeply connected to God. You know, we spoke about taking stock of myself, but even just that intent and that connectedness to God, that religious phenomenon is so powerful for me for what davening is about. And you know, whether God accepts my prayer or not, who knows if God accepts my prayer, but that that's not the essence for me. And having more kavana clearly makes it a much more powerful tefillah for me. And I think Rav Moshe would say that's all very nice from your personal religious perspective. But halachically, that's not what matters, how powerful it was for you. Halachically, what matters is, is it going up to heaven? Is God receiving it? So that's a little hard to relate to. You know, that purely abstract theological question is what defines it as a higher level rather than the experiential reality and the religious reality, sort of like theology versus religiosity. So that is, again, Rav Moshe being consistent, but I think not sure that that's in a way that totally speaks to us. One last tshuva that shows against the intersection of the theological and the halachic in this context. And this is from Igris Moshe or Chaim 131, and it's even earlier, 10 years earlier than these. It's from 1952. And the question is the following. He says, So we're coming up to the Yamim Narayim. And here the question was that they needed a much larger space. Now we certainly need a larger space because of social distancing. And they wanted to rent out a place, which Rav Moshe says they do all forms of abominations. It's not clear what he's talking about, but knowing the times, one could speculate, you know, that they're talking about maybe, you know, a place where they did mixed dancing. That was always a big concern of Rav Moshe. I mean, what else, what, you know, what are we talking about? Some public space, a gym or something of that nature. Maybe they played bingo. Who knows what they did there? Rav Moshe says they did all these abominations. And can you rent out that space to have a minion, you know, to have a nice show for the Yamim Narayim? And he says like this, he says, is that, if, and if we don't do that, we won't have a minion. He says, Rav Moshe says, look, let's get to this question of where is the greater sort of theological, you know, weight of davani. You know, we mentioned earlier that there's a discussion that is it more important to daven in the base medrash where you learn if you have to give up tefillah b'tzibor, davening in a minion? And some say yes, and some say no. But Rav Moshe says, one way or the other we see that there's a real power to your prayer, you know, based on the location. And everybody agrees that certainly if you have a minion, it's more important to pray where you learn than to pray in a show. And some say even if it means giving up a minion, it's more important. So the location and the power of the location, this is a place where I learn, I'm connected to it through Torah, that gives greater weight to my davening, maybe even weight that it's more accepted than praying in a minion. And I would actually supposed to daven where I learn. So Rav Moshe says, if that's true in the positive, it's also true in the negative. If there's something deeply problematic with this space that makes this space something that is a space that will make God not want to accept my prayers, then there actually, that makes it, even if it allows me to pray in a minion, it fundamentally undermines the power of the minion. 
The power of the minion is that God accepts my prayers. And if the nature of the space means that God won't accept my prayers, and again, this is presuming that whatever he saw going wrong in that space, it would translate into this. So there's a lot of assumptions about that. So those theological assumptions, you know. But if that's true, if an important place makes God accept my prayers more, then a deeply sinful, problematic place means that God won't accept my prayers or accept them less, and that will undermine the power of tefillah b'tzibor. So it is actually better to daven without a minion on the yamim norayim Daven at your own, which sadly is going to be a reality that people are going to be dealing with for these Yamim Norayim. And Rav Moshe says that would be better than davening with a tzibor in a place that God would reject, would reject the place, and therefore there's no value of davening with a minion in such a place. And he actually says that the nature of that place is, because one of the things we're told is that when there's a minion, God's presence is among us. And here he gets into an even deeper theological discussion. God accepts our prayers when we daven in a minion, but only in a context where God's presence is among us. And God's presence won't be in such a place. So he introduces this other context of Shekhinah, the Shekhinah's presence with us, and that is a function of the place that we're in. And in this type of a place, there won't be the divine presence, and therefore God won't accept his prayers. So again, this is important. Fascinating, of course, because again, how bad was the place that he was talking about? You know, maybe they use it, like I said, regularly for mixed dancing or something. But it's fascinating, again, how he is dealing with what seems to be a non-halachic analysis at all. All of these questions about, does God accept our prayer? Does we God prefer that we daven where we learn? And translating them into halacha. You know, translating this concept of God accepts our prayers, but it's only when God's presence is with us. God's presence isn't in such a place, so God won't accept our prayers or won't accept them as if we're davening in a minion, and therefore davening in a minion has no value in such a place. So let's just read one line where he says that, and he says like this. To do in a place where there are abominations that God is hateful of, is not a place that is desirous for, for prayer at all. Even with 10 people, the divine presence won't be there. And since the divine presence won't be there, the prayer will not be accepted. It doesn't have the power of the prayer of a minion that's always accepted. The whole value of davening a minion is that it's an eight ratzon and that the prayer is accepted. In this case, where God's presence isn't there, there is no value of tefillah b'tzibor. And that is basically how he concludes. And he actually, in passing, mentions that we're talking here about a show of the young Israel, which is quite fascinating. And he also acknowledges that, it, that you know, it might make sense, a difference if this is regularly used for the place or only temporarily. Ways you could actually, if you bought the place and changed its nature, that would be different. But a place that is, after you, the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is going to go back to be used for this improper thing is a place where God's presence will not be, and therefore the prayers won't be accepted or won't be accepted like a tefillah b'tzibor, and therefore you actually should not be praying in such a place, even if by not doing it you have to give up tefillah b'tzibor. So what we have seen in these two vote is, number one, a, you know, a sort of breaking from the simple sense of the sources and you know the large consensus of the poskim that praying in a minion is not a personal obligation, and Moshe says it is, although again, he obviously accepts some of the, the limits of the Gemara. You don't have to do it under all circumstances, but it is a personal obligation, and that translates into that you have to make sacrifices 
sacrifices, even if the sacrifices are giving up your learning, or even if the sacrifices are praying with less kavana and other types of sacrifices you have to make because it really is a chiyuv, an obligation, and rooting it in a theological perspective. that Because prayer is accepted more, therefore it's a higher level of prayer, and that creates a halachic obligation, giving greater weight to the theological question, is God accepting it, than to the personal question of how deeply I am connecting and communicating. It's all this theological issue, and that creates a halachic reality. And ending by saying that similarly, that would translate into not into saying that you're not allowed to pray in certain places, even if it means giving up tefillah b'tzivor. Again, not based on any halachic sources, just based on these sort of hashkafic theological statements, but translating them into concrete halachic realities. I think this is quite fascinating in Rav Moshe. I would not say that this is something that one finds frequently in his writings, maybe that's particularly around issues of tefillah. But on the other hand, it's not so rare. Rav Moshe often quotes Agadita, quotes a wide range of sources, and incorporates them into his understanding of halacha. And I think this really speaks to his deep, uh, you know, religiosity, that he doesn't compartmentalize sort of the legal mechanisms of halacha from sort of the deep sort of, you know, religious, metaphysical, theological world in which they are rooted. And even though I think that the influence tends to often be of a more minor nature than it is here. Here it's very direct, very powerful. You know, he does occasionally see these realms as interconnected and brings that into his halachic discourse. And this is a very powerful example of that. So we'll be back next time with another episode on prayer. And thank you all for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening to Igros Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dove Linzer, now celebrating over 10,000 listens. This podcast is brought to you by Yeshivat Chovavei Torah and is a project of the Lindenbaum Center for Halachic Studies. With close to 150 rabbis in the field, YCT is leading and inspiring Klal Israel with a Torah that is nuanced, compassionate, and contemporary. Check out yctorah.org to learn more.